before I get into uh, 1 John, as a team, we've really been praying and praying into 2018 and saying, Lord, what do you have for us as individuals? What do you have for us as a church? What impact do you want us to make in this city, in this nation? Because we believe God's called us to a lot. And we're believing him for that. We're going after that. We know that he has things that he wants us to do for his kingdom. And it's exciting to see God at work. It's exciting to see these sparks going off of businesses succeeding when they shouldn't, of people being healed the last few weeks, of God working in people emotionally, restoring relationships. And we're seeing these sparks of God doing things in amongst us and in the city as well. But we know that there's so much more. And I want to show a video that I came across this week that... I'll share a bit more on it afterwards, but to me shows what I believe God is calling us to now and into the future as well. So let's see. An incredibly costly advert done by Sony to uh, talk about their television and those sorts of things. But imagine those paint splashes are bursts of God's kingdom breaking out on earth. And just imagine that that abandoned, dingy uh, complex there that was unused when they did it is actually the city like Harare. And just imagine that we're starting to see those first small bursts of God's kingdom coming through us in people's lives, in the nation, in neighborhoods, in increasing measures. At first, there's these small bursts of color and then increasing external, internal, inside the buildings, multicolor, and then at the end, a final reign of God's kingdom. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would ask big things that, of you that we want to do for you, Lord. Thank you that you're leading us as a people. Thank you that you're leading us as a church. But thank you, Lord, that you call us to anything but ordinary in the city. Whilst the city of Harare may look, in many respects, like a run-down, disused apartment complex, Lord, you would have us bring light and life and color to this place to see it transformed, Jesus. And I ask that you would use us individually, wherever we are, in our neighborhoods, people that we come into contact with in our businesses. Lord Jesus, as a church, that you would use us to change the city, to change governments, to see people transformed, to see life changed. Lord Jesus, please give us a big picture of you, what you want to do in us and through us. Your name we pray. Amen. Great. So it's my prayer that God will use us to change, to paint this city with, uh, with his life, with his color, to paint our neighborhoods with that. And I know it's happening, and I know it's going to happen. And if we grasp 1 John, if we grasp this book in the Bible, I know it's going to happen. Because what Jesus talks about, what comes through in this book in these next few weeks together, will help us to really get to grips with what he, what he has for us in the city and behind, beyond. So who is the series in 1 John aimed at? If you're exploring what it means to be a Christ follower here today, if you're sitting on the fence and going, well, actually, maybe it's my first time in a church building. Maybe I've heard of faith, but I've never really made a decision. I'm just exploring. I'm checking things out. This series is for you. If you're constantly unsure of whether you are or aren't a Christ follower, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? Am I one? Am I not one? This series is for you. If you're a Christ follower living in continual purposeful sin, this series is for you. To sort of point out and go, actually, this is what God is calling to you, calling you to. Um, if you call yourself a Christ follower, but don't think your life needs to look any different to those around you, this series is for you. 
And if you're sold out for Jesus and want to live for him more than anything else, this series is for you. It's for anyone and everyone, regardless of where you are on the journey of faith. And I can't wait to see the impact it's going to have on our lives individually and corporately as a church. So a little bit of context. We're almost 100% certain this book was written by John. You'd sort of say, well, isn't that obvious? 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, which the books are about. Well, no, because he never actually says it's written by John. But we believe it was written by John, son of Zebedee, one of the disciples, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John and the, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And it's interesting that we can't say for sure that it was written by him, even though it carries his name. But the reason why we say almost 100% is because the flow, the style, the themes, the word usage is almost identical or very, very similar to John the Gospel. And so early scholars, the early church sort of said this is definitely written by him because of what we see, although he didn't put his name to it. It was written no later than A.D. Uh, in the AD 90s. We know this as it was referenced by other church writers, Polycarp and Papias, in the AD 100s. We also know that John left Jerusalem with a bunch of Christians before AD 67. So, you know, Jesus obviously born and he had lived and he died AD 33 or roundabouts there. So some 30 years later, we know that a bunch of Christians left Jerusalem before it was destroyed by Rome. So we know that John left then and he hadn't written it by then. And then we know that he headed out into, there's an area called Ephesus, the big city, um, and around the surrounds. We know that he moved out there to continue his ministry. So speaking to different towns and cities around there. And that's when he wrote the book. So somewhere between uh, AD 67, but more likely AD 70 and AD 90, he wrote John the Gospel, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and, Rev and Revelation right towards the end of his life while he was living in exile. Uh, he was the only disciple not executed for his faith, excluding Judas, who killed himself after handing Jesus over to be crucified. John was one of Jesus' closest friends, and he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And a lot of the time I read this going, ah, John, that's a little bit arrogant, <laughs> you know, writing the letter, I, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, not you guys. But uh, I don't think that was, I don't think he was saying it arrogantly. I just think he really got God's love for him. He really understood it. When maybe the other disciples and those around didn't really get how much Jesus cared for them, he did. He reclined next to Jesus at the Last Supper. He stood at the cross when all the other disciples had fled. He was asked to look after Jesus' mother, Jesus' words to him on the cross. John, this is my mom. I'm dying, but please look after her. I'm entrusting her to you. Be that surrogate son to her. He was the one at the tomb on the morning that Jesus had risen from the dead and they couldn't find his body. And he was one of the ones who had breakfast on the beach with the risen King Jesus. He was an eyewitness to, to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He deeply understood who Jesus was, what following him meant, and what a, what a relationship with Jesus was all about. He knew this. He knew Jesus intimately. He was one of his closest friends. He stood strong when others failed. He longed for people to take Jesus seriously. And he didn't want anyone misleading people into who Jesus really was. Because after all, he knew him better than anyone else. And so a lot of John is a defense of the gospel, a defense of who Jesus was. And you see that in his other writings in John and Revelation as well. This book is there to challenge us in correct biblical thinking, to take the Bible as it is, to live ethical and upright lives in difficult situations, which we find ourselves in in Zim, 
all brought about by radical devotion to Jesus. That's his, that's his hard cry. He's like, I know Jesus. I know he's worth it. I know he's worth putting all of your life into and trusting him with everything. I've done that. I know it's the right thing to do, and I want you to do the same as well. And I hope and pray in this series is that would help you to become a confident and bold follower of Jesus Christ, that you'd be confident in who Jesus is, confident in what salvation is and what it means that he came to live and die for us, confident in what Jesus expects a Christ follower to look like, and ultimately confidence in the life that is to come that Ian shared on this morning. So let's read 1 John together. If you have your Bibles, if not, don't worry, it's going to be up there. But it's a great practice to get out the paper. And this is what it says, 1 John 1. So this is him writing, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, talking about Jesus, and this is a mirror as well of John 1. Um, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which, the Father, um, uh, which was with the Father, Jesus, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship, friendship, closeness with us. And indeed, our fellowship actually, although it's together, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things to you so that our joy, other translations, your joy, our collectively, may be complete. We're going to dive into that in a little bit. And the first thing I want to start off with is that eyewitness evidence is powerful. It's a form of evidence that's used today. It's not something that's got old school. Yes, a camera is more useful because they're on camera. Those can be doctored, but it's more useful. But eyewitness evidence is used around the globe in understanding a situation where there hasn't been cameras or there hasn't been specific evidence. One eyewitness may not always be trusted, but when there are many, the weight of evidence starts to move strongly towards their statements. And there's always going to be outliers, so there'll always be maybe someone who's completely far off, but collectively, police and, and others can usually get the story from a group of eyewitnesses. If it's identical, you really question it, because then they've all made up the story together. But if there's slight variations, but the same stories being said, then you could take it as usually reality, which is why the Gospels are amazing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they tell the story of Jesus' life on earth from slightly different angles. They tell the same thing, but they were different people. They focused in on different things of his life, but overall, it speaks the same true fact. In Zimbabwe, we trust eyewitnesses without question. In fact, usually us Zimbabweans go a step further and we trust ear witnesses. We receive a WhatsApp message from one person who says they heard from another person whose relative heard from someone they work with at a bakery, whose boss has a friend who works at a transport company, whose co-worker has an uncle who works at a petrol station, that there's going to be a fuel shortage, and we storm the closest petrol station we can find. So we don't even need eyewitness evidence in Zimbabwe. We take ear witness, and it can be fifth-hand knowledge. It's truth to us, and we live it out. <laughs> Unlike that funny made-up story, although it is very similar to a true story that I heard. A true story that I heard. Unlike that story, at the time of writing 1 John, many who were reading that letter and were hearing it spoken 
were also eyewitnesses to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's written so soon after Jesus died that many would have been living at that time. So John was living, he was an eyewitness, but many of his contemporaries, many in the church, were there and had seen it. And this letter would have easily been refuted. They would have said, well, it's a load of rubbish. Of course, that didn't happen. This happened. But the reason why it's in existence, the reason why there wasn't any backlash or outcry is because everyone there would have been like, it's true, John was there. We saw him at the cross. He was a friend. He hung out with Jesus a lot. Too much. We wish we were that friend. Uh, and we, we know this guy. We know it. We've seen it. And so through generations, it's been trusted because they would have been there at the same time. They knew John was the real deal, and other eyewitnesses, including some of them there, could verify it. And John, I just love how he says that. So he's talking, and he's saying, that which was from the beginning, this is, this is God, the creator. He was there at the beginning. Jesus was there, which we have heard. We've heard him. We were there. We listened to Jesus. We heard him speak to us, and he said he was God, which we have seen with our own eyes. We didn't just hear him speak. We saw him. We saw him physically, which we've looked upon and we've touched him. He wasn't some weird angel. He wasn't some floating person you try and touch and you put your hand through him. He was real. We touched him. We spent time with him. We ate dinner with him. We reclined at the table with him concerning the word of life. And then he goes on a bit further. I'm going to share a bit more, but he says the life was made manifest. He's reiterating. He's going, guys, if you don't get it that Jesus was on earth and he's God, he was here again. He was made manifest. We've seen it again. He's reiterating, saying, guys, this is for real. This is true. And I imagine as he's reading, because they were eyewitnesses, and as he's sharing this, I can imagine everyone's heads nodding, going, that's true. We saw him. We touched him. We heard him speak. What you're saying, John, is real. Okay, we're going to listen up. We're going to listen to the rest of what you have to say. John then goes on and he calls Jesus the word of life. So then the end, the word of life. And then he actually shortens it and he just says, you notice there, the life. I love how he does that. Jesus is the word of life. But to make it even clearer to you guys, he is the life. He is the life. He's not a life. He's not an add-on to an already good life you have. He is the only way to real life. He is the life. Not a life, but the life. Not a life you only need when things are rough, but the life you need always. The question I have is, do we believe that today? Do we believe from the bottom of our hearts that Jesus is the only fulfilling life that you and I can ever have? Or do you believe there are other things that can provide what Jesus does? Maybe like the Sprite tagline. Does anyone know the Sprite tagline? Obey your thirst. It's obviously a lie, hey? Because <laughs> Sprite's probably going to dehydrate you. <laughs> you actually need water. Sprite is a great drink. I love it. But the story and the picture it's giving is not reality. What you really need to, when you have thirst to quench it, isn't Sprite, it's water. And there's many lies around the world today that you only need this, not Jesus. Or you just need this to a satisfying life. You need this to a purposeful life. But it fails again and again. We pursue again and again till our deathbed because we're looking and chasing after a life rather than the life. Maybe you do feel right now as you sit here that actually deep down, maybe you do feel that money can give you the life that you need. So interesting, I was at a bribe. 
with friends last week, and uh, we, uh, Dean, we were sharing about someone that we know who had said, um, and he said, well, when I make my first million, I'll be sorted. And he did. And the next day, I wonder what it would be like to make two million. The instant he made what he had been chasing after for his family and for himself, the epitome of, I just need that, and I'm sorted. I can relax for the rest of my life. I would have had the life and reached my purpose. The very next day, two million. Let's aim for that. Money's not the problem. It's a problem when we're trying to make it the life rather than a useful tool for us. Maybe for you it's a holiday that's the life or going on holidays is the life rather than a life. Maybe it's a different neighborhood. If I just lived in a different neighborhood, if I just got out of where I am and got over here, I would have made it. If I just had a four-bedroom house instead of a three-bedroom house, I would have attained the life. If I just had a different husband or wife, I'd have the life. (laughs) If I just had a wife or had a husband, I'll make the life. If I just had a child or one more child, then I'll reach it. The list can go on and on. But friends, nothing, nothing can give you what the life, Jesus, can. Nothing. Only Jesus will satisfy. And my question today is, do you believe it? And maybe you're here today and you're exploring the Christian faith. I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart that he is the only one who will bring you the life. He is the only one who will bring you to that place of peace, satisfaction, purpose, and hope. Nothing else can, but he will. He definitely will. John then goes on, and he says, so he's spoken about him being the life. Talks about we've seen, um, we've heard, and then look at what he says. He says, I'm saying all of this. I'm telling you that Jesus is the life. I'm telling you about who he is, so that, and then there's two things he closed off with. Firstly, so that you may have fellowship with us and fellowship with him. So fellowship with us as Christ followers, together, connections, friendships, but also ultimately with Jesus. Fellowship, look up the dictionary definition. It describes a sense of close friendship, camaraderie, and mutual support. And one of the amazing byproducts of once you access the life that there is in Jesus is you find that you have a common family You access this friendship that goes beyond wealth brackets, goes beyond skin color, it goes beyond likes and dislikes, it goes beyond frustrations, goes beyond annoyances. You gain a friendship, a close friendship of support and of care that comes as a result of you all interlinkingly knowing that you have Jesus as the life. It happens. That's what church should be all about. It's the inevitable result of being changed from the inside out becoming more like Jesus each day that you want to spend time with people who have the same life. It's inevitable. That's what happens. It's what happens. Something that I pray for that grows and grows in harvest. You start to see past each other's faults. You start to see past quirks, annoying habits, weaknesses, because you have a close bond of faith that's far greater than anything else. So you become more outward-looking, not inward-looking. You find that you want to meet new people, invite them into your home, do life together, strengthen faith together. Why? Because you have the life bubbling inside you. You've got Jesus bubbling inside you, and you just want to share him with all around. Harvest, please can I challenge us to be an outward-looking people. My heart's desire is that when people talk of harvest, obviously, firstly, that they'll say we care about Jesus above anything else. But then they would say, that is the friendliest church I've been to. 
oh my goodness, I felt loved. Every time I walk through those doors, I feel the love of God and I feel the love of people. It's my heart's desire. But instead of arriving at church and going to where we always sit, we'd see if there's anyone looking lonely or new or someone for us to go and sit next to or someone to invite to sit next to us. Because let's face it, we're all creatures of habit, right? <laughs> we love habit. We don't really like change as people. We might say we do, but not always. But that would be open to change for the sake of the gospel. That instead of talking to the people that we always talk to, we would increasingly build friendships across wealth brackets and cultural lines. That our eyes would be focused on others and not ourselves. And I know this is going to happen automatically if we stay connected to the life. It'll happen automatically, and it's something that I'm praying for in increasing measures. And then finally, John says, so we fellowship and indeed fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, a close friendship that we access when we give Jesus our life. And then he says this, we are writing these things so that our or your joy may be complete. I'm writing this to you so that our joy may be complete. He's saying, friends, I'm sharing with you about Jesus, how he created everything that we see, came to earth to rescue us and save us from our sin. This Jesus was my friend. This Jesus is still my friend. I walked with him. I talked with him. I watched him die. I saw him rise again. He's the life. But he's not only that. He's the source of joy. He is the source of joy. And biblical joy is very different to happiness. I looked in the dictionary, and when you look up joy, they say a state of great happiness, which I actually disagree with. Because I think happiness is based on circumstance. Happiness is based on, we get a nice present, oh, I'm happy. But then I can't swipe my card, <laughs> because they're not working. The POS machines in Harare. Sorry if you're traveling from another place. I'm sure they always work, but in Zoom, quite often they don't. And... My day is now terrible. And we, happiness changes quickly, makes us swing like a yo-yo. But biblical joy is different in that it doesn't change with situation. That's an amazing thing to have. How incredible to have a joy in you not based on circumstance, but based on a person. Joy becomes a natural part of our life when we have a new spirit within us, when Jesus makes us new. It's a fruit of the spirit, which means that when the spirit is at work in our lives, we will experience an overflow of joy. And so if you aren't experiencing an overflow of joy, two things. Number one, you might not have the life of Jesus. You can make a decision to have that today. Or secondly, you might have let the cares of this world set your minds on things below instead of on Jesus, which has robbed you of your joy. But it's such a helpful thing. If you're wondering if God has changed you from the inside out, and if you are a Christ follower, and if you're growing to be like him, you can head across to Galatians 5, and it talks about something called the fruit of the Spirit, the result of God working in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the list goes on. A growing joy, a growing love for people, a growing peace, more patience with people who frustrate you, the list goes on. That's the result of God working in your life. And whilst giving our life to Christ is not about what we do and what we look like, it's inevitable if he's in us and changing us, we'll start to look like him. Just like an apple tree can't grow oranges, grows apples. Once you become, once you move from being an orange tree who doesn't know Jesus to be an apple tree that produces apples, you don't produce oranges. That's what happens when you have new life, when you're a new creation. You start to overflow with what Jesus overflows. We start to look like the new person 
we've become in Christ. Joy is based on our relationship with Jesus, moves us from being a yo-yo, changing with situations, to being someone who is confident in our faith and who Jesus is, and reflecting that to all around. And I see people as yo-yos so often. I'm sure I'm guilty of it as well. And I just shared a little bit of it, but it's like, oh, great, I'm going on holiday. Things are the best thing in the world. Oh, no, I had a car accident. Things are the worst in the world. Oh, yes, my spouse gave me some flowers. The best day in the world. And we just go like this. We're not supposed to, because that's happiness. It's living on happiness. We live on joy. We're steadfast. We're immovable. We have this inbuilt joy from the Father, regardless of the things that come our way in life. Jesus called us to be different. And everyone who doesn't know Jesus has every right to be a yo-yo. If you don't know Christ, you've got every right to be a yo-yo because you don't have a new life inside of you. But when we become Christ followers, when we become new creations, we start to stop being yo-yos. We start to stop swaying as much as we start to put our faith in the one who we can trust everything to, Jesus Christ. If we've been saved from our sin, if our minds are set on things above, then we have the life and we have the source of joy. And being connected to the source of joy will mean that our eyes are fixed on what's most important in life. It'll make us solid in our faith, not swayed by unimportant things, able to withstand tough situations, and able to imitate Christ even when things are difficult. And then people will start to ask us, where do you get that joy from? Where does your hope come from? And we have an opportunity to speak and share of what Jesus has done in our lives. We have friends and neighborhoods who desperately need to know the life and have complete joy. It's my prayer, like in that clip I showed you, that we would be the bright paint bringers in a place that would usually be gray and not so exciting. We'd be the ones who bring real life and real joy. Let's pray. Just with our heads bowed, and we're in, we're in different places here today, and that's okay. But I, I don't want us to leave without an opportunity for God to move, for God to do stuff. And if you're sitting listening and you've been, you've been sitting listening and going, well, you're talking about this Jesus who came and who died for me. And yes, I realize my, my life isn't perfect and I, I, I know there's, there's a mess, but could someone really live, love me that much? Is it, is it really true that the, a loving God could step down into this world and pay the price I couldn't pay for my sin to bridge the gap between a perfect God and an imperfect me. It's true. It's true. Maybe you've been chasing after satisfaction and purpose in anything other than Jesus. And today he's shone that light in your heart. He's made sense today to you that he's the source and that you can stop searching because you can have it right now, this morning. And if that's you and you're sitting going, I, I, I know if I met him face to face, I don't have a friendship with him. I know. I know I don't have fellowship, friendship with him, but I want it. And I know I've never got, got it on my knees or just cried out and said, Lord, I need you. I can't do life on my own and I need you to, to save me from my sin and I want that life. If that's you today, I want you to do something bold. Everyone's head's about I just want you to raise your hand to say, God, that's me. I want that life. I haven't had it, and I want it. I want you to change me. I want to move from being an orange tree to an apple tree. I want to become a new creation. If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand. 
No one's watching. No one's looking around. It's between you and God. But it's a sign of saying, God, I, I want the life. I want the life. I want the life. A few people who raise their hands. It's just no, no one else is looking. So you can put up your hand and then, then put it down again or raise it up high and be bold. I mean, who cares? It's between God saying, Lord, I, I want this. Those of you who raised your hands and, and you know, if you've never ever actually got to that place of going, Lord, I, <laughs> I need you. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing fancy you have to say. It's as simple as going in your heart or, or speaking on just saying, Lord Jesus. I realize I've tried to do life on my own. And I realize that I'm never going to be able to get right with you by trying but I can by receiving. <laughs> you can just say to him quietly or under your breath, you can just say, Lord Jesus, please change me. Please forgive me of my sin and make me a new creation. Change me from this day forward. You can say that to him in, in an instant, in a moment, he's there. and He makes us into new creations and he gives us the life. He gives us the life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for changing hearts this morning. Thank you for changing hearts this morning. Thank you for bringing life. You're going to find your outlook on life starts to change. You're going to find a joy that you never had. You're going to find a purpose and a peace you never had. And I'd love to chat those, put up their hands, or others if you're too shy, I'd love you to come and chat afterwards. But just also, um, maybe this one, I'll um, also get you to raise your hand. As Christ followers, we should be the most joyful people there is because we've got We've got the truth and we've got the life in us. And if you're struggling with joy and if you're looking going, I know I'm an apple tree, but my apples are not looking that nice. <laughs> and I want to be full of love. I want to be full of joy. I want to be full of peace. I want to be full of patience. But actually, Lord, at the moment, because of the cares of this world, I've kind of, that, that's been robbed from me. But I want to start seeing that increase in my life. If that's you, I want to slip up your hand. Just pop up your hand and just say, Lord, I'm after you, the source of joy. Great seeing people raise their hands. That's exciting. It's cool. It's just a way of you saying, Lord, I want that. I want that. I want to be bold. I want that. Lord Jesus, for those people who put up their hands as well to say, bring it. I want some awesome fruit. <laughs> and I want to see this fruit displayed for all around. Holy Spirit, fill these people to overflowing right now. Bring in a supernatural sense of joy that only you can the source of life, a supernatural love for others, a supernatural peace, supernatural patience, supernatural kindness. Do that right now, Holy Spirit. You're such a good father as we sung today. You love to give us good gifts. You, you love it when we imitate you more than anything else. And so when we have these prayers saying, Lord, we want to see fruit in our lives, you love to answer it. So just receive that. Receive his love over you. Receive his encouragement and receive his strength and ultimately receive his joy. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've called us to. Thank you for the lives that you've called us to. Thank you for what you've called us to in our neighborhoods, in our friendship circles, in our businesses, and in this nation. And I ask in increasing measures you would use us individually and as a church to bring your kingdom. In your amazing name we pray. Amen.